If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Praise the Lord. Everybody got their Bibles with you? Well, just in case you don't, we have two screens, and you can look up on those screens. Um, so uh, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. You know, on Wednesday nights, we've been covering the book of Acts for oh, about 16 years now. Um, and uh, <laughs> we, have, we haven't been able to get, get into it for a while because of uh, the holidays and the various different events that we've, we've done. So we're coming back into it now, Acts chapter 20. There's 28 chapters in this great, great book, and uh, we've been walking through. And uh, this chapter, as we do on Wednesday nights, that's usually our habit to walk through um, books of the Bible and verse by verse uh, and uh, just really dig deep into it. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy Wednesday nights because this is when I get to pull out the steaks. You guys are the meat eaters. So uh, you come for Wednesday night. You don't just come for the dessert and the salad and the chips and salsa. And uh, that, Not that we don't get good stuff on Sunday mornings. You understand what I'm saying, but uh, it's all good. But, to, but on Wednesday nights, we get, to, we get to eat a little bit meatier food. So, uh, And uh, I'm just glad all of you are here tonight, and I'm... And I thank God for you. Thank God for you. Thank you for being here and showing your faithfulness to this house, to our one cause, the cause of Christ Jesus. This is why our church is called One Cause, because of the gospel of Christ. It is our cause that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. Amen. I want to also just throw something at you. Can I just throw something at you? Let me get a let me get a something then. Oh no. no, oh money. I'll have to have Heather do that. She's the one that makes all the money. Um, now I I want to just share something. How many of you were at our business meeting that we had at the end of the year, the last Sunday of the year that we had after the second service? Okay, well some of you that weren't, and I'm just going to go ahead and just talk to the whole church about this matter. Um, that we are looking at a building right now, and I want, I want all of you to be in prayer uh, because we, there's something marvelous happen, happening, and I can't even put my finger on exactly what God is doing, but I know it's really good. And uh, I want to encourage you to go by and look at this building. I want to encourage you to go by and pray over this building because we are believing God for it. Um, it is on Custer Road. And it sits right next to Home Depot. It's between 380 and Virginia. And it used to be a place called The Zone, kids' place to come in there and sweat and spend money. It's 26,500 square feet. And the owner is looking to get it to us. Now, the owner is a Christian. His name is Christian. That's kind of cool, isn't it? He actually lives up to his name. And uh, he, he, we found favor with him. Do you remember when I told you about this summer when I was in South Africa and the Lord had us sow that debt that was owed us, that $650,000 plus? And then how our land, we got a price for $750,000 for our 12 acres, and we'll be closing on that in March. March the 11th, I believe, is our closing date. We'll be funded. Well, all during that time, somewhere during that time, I got an email from a banker that we previously had, and he was asking me, he said, Pastor, do you have a, what's your building situation? I said, well, right now we're in a place where we're renting. Uh, we enjoy it. It was a nice place for us to come to, but I, I don't think this is the end all for us. And, and he said, well, 
can we have lunch? I want to talk to you about something. And so I met, met him for lunch, and he began to talk to me about that owner of this building and told me, you need to give him a call. Here's his phone number. So I called the guy, and then he met us out at the building, and we, of course, walked in, and he had this big book there, and he opened this book, and he says, this is what this building praises for, and it said $3.7 million. I was like, <laughs> yeah. why am I here? And he said, well, I'm not asking, I'm not asking that for the building. I'm not asking for that for the building. And, uh, um, and then he didn't say what he was asking for the building. And so after we got to talking a while, we found out that we knew a lot of the same people. And uh, um, uh, he, was, he was raised, uh, um, if, if you remember, remember Church on the Rock with Pastor Larry Lee years ago? He used to play on the worship team there. He used to play trumpet on the worship team. We had a lot of fun going back a few years talking about those times. And anyway, and then after, after some time, he called me and was asking me for some advice. And uh, so I gave him some advice and got him hooked up with my dad uh, concerning a situation with Christ for the Nations, and he, he loved dad. And then I told him, I said, I'd like to show this building to our bo- my board, and, and I'd like them to just look at it. And he said, you know what, I just need to give you a key to the building so you can come in and out however you please. So I've had the key for three months now probably uh, to this building. And, he's, and so finally, we, we've met a couple of different times, and he's just asked where we were in our financing and things. And he's just been vague about what he wants to offer concerning the building. And finally, Heather, out of frustration, we were sitting at lunch with him, and she just said, how much do you want for the building? Because we need a number. Because we need to know if this is something that we can do or if this is something that we just need to move on past because we feel like this thing is kind of dangling out in front of us and we love the place. How much? He said, well, don't worry about that. Um, just, you know, whenever you get your land sold, we'll talk. But I want you to have it. Okay. So this is where we are. Out here in faith. God, this is bigger than us, but it's not bigger than you. And you're on our side. And you watch over your word to perform it. And if you said... If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Then I think this is a good, bountiful harvest. So I want you to be praying for this. Go by and look at it. And I think you'll fall in love with it as we have. All right? Can we all get out there in faith together? Huh? Can we just do it? Just go for it? Thank God for it. I've had staff meetings in the building already. I can like we already owned it. I thought if I got a key, I might as well go in there and act like I ha- uh, it's mine. Amen. Took the board over there. They unanimously said, let's go for it. So uh, we're excited. Okay. Well, all right. Let's get into the book, the book of Acts. God is so good to us. Verse 1, after the uproar had ceased, let's stop right there for a moment. You remember in Acts chapter 19, it ended with this huge tumult. This crowd had gathered in uh, the theater there in Ephesus and they, they, because they felt threatened because Paul had been preaching the gospel and many had come to, uh, the, come to Christ as a result. And they feared these men who were building these little idols, these little trinkety things to the goddess Diana, were felt like they were losing their profit as a result. P-R-O-F-I-T, not P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Um, and, they, and so they, 
this, this riot basically happened, and they all gathered in this theater, and they shouted for two hours, great is the goddess Diana, or something like that. Anyway, something stupid. And then, and then uh, after this, and then we opened this chapter with that thought. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now, I would like, if Alex could, bring up the map that I sent you. And can you bring me that laser pointer, if you have it? I forgot to ask you for that earlier. Okay, now that you, you know, obviously that's a jumbled mess there, but I'll, I'll make a little bit of sense of it for you if I can. All right, uh, we have it or no? No? Okay, no big deal. Now, this is Greece here, obviously, you can see this, but up, up to the left up there where it says Thessalonica, that, and behind that, this is, this is Macedonia, all right? Now, <clears throat> Ephesus is all the way over here. You see all the way over here to the, almost to the bottom corner where it says Ephesus? All right? So they sailed all the way over to Macedonia. This is, this is where they're at. <clears throat> and uh, now when he had gone over that region, encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. So now he came down south of there into Greece. So you see Athens there at the bottom. And uh, stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, you have Syria, which isn't, you can't really see Syria here, but it's all the way down here, just north of, north of Jerusalem, okay? Paul was going to get there because he was trying to get there to, to celebrate Pentecost, and what this chapter will tell us, tell us that in a moment. But they heard that the Jews were plotting to kill him, so then he decided to go back up through Macedonia. All right, you got that? I just want you to kind of see it geographically as well. Um, and, uh, and he decided to return through Macedonia, and I'm going to work, do my best on these names, all right? Verse 4, and Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby. Man, where's Bill, George, and Ralph when you need them? And Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia, these men going ahead waited for us at Troas. Now, let's bring up the map again. So Macedonia is up here. Troas is right there at the top, that first, that top red that you see there, okay? Sent them on to Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. Now, I don't know if you remember this, why Troas is significant to the ministry of Paul, but we, as we studied the uh, uh, chapter 16, when he had began his journey to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles, remember he got Timothy to go with him, circumcised him, and then they took off. And and seemed like everywhere they went, they were Paul was thinking that they were going to start planting churches in Asia, but God, the Holy Spirit, was forbidding them to go. Every city they'd come to, he would forbid them to go. And finally, they end up in Troas, and the Scripture says uh, in 9, Acts 16, 9, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia to help us. So they're in Troas at that point, and so then he gets clear direction from the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many of you know that sometimes that can be a little frustrated when all you're hearing is, no, this isn't it, no, this isn't it, this isn't it. Well, what is it? When? When am I going to know? So Paul is following the voice of the Holy Spirit as best he knows. Finally, he sees the vision. They see clearly to go, go to Macedonia. So that's where they start preaching the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles, and as well as to the Jews there too. But, and, it's, and they got to Philippi, and you know the rest of the story. But uh, So Troas is an interesting place, and now they find themselves back there again. 
Verse 7, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. You think you got it rough till 8.15. This guy preached till midnight. All right? Now, I personally would have loved that, to sit with Paul until midnight. I say that just to sound spiritual, I guess, but... Uh, the, <laughs> After just reading this man's writing, it's, uh, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Ready to depart the next day. Spoke to them and continued his message until there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. So these guys have eaten together. Check this out. They've eaten together. How many of you know how you feel after you eat? Ready for a nap? And Paul is on a preaching roll. All right? No pun intended. <laughs> lamps are flickering in the night to light up this room and you know how a fire can be almost hypnotic watching the flames flicker where they're all gathered look at verse 9 and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus everybody say Eutychus that's a fun name isn't it who was sinking into a deep sleep well yeah they just ate Paul's preaching on and on and on and on and on, trying to cover the entire Bible. And uh, the, the lights are dim with candles lit, flickering in the night. And here's little Utica sitting in the window listening. I really can't fault this guy. He's full. It's midnight. I, don't, I, I do think Eutychus has chosen a bad seat, though. And, you know, we don't really know why he sat there in the seat. He's a boy. He's a young man. Maybe boys are going to be boys, right? Maybe it was hot. He was catching a, a little breeze there in the window. Maybe uh, he liked to live on the edge a little. Maybe he sat there so if it got boring, he could look at something else. He didn't have a phone to look at Instagram while the preacher was preaching, like so many of you have the luxury of doing, which I know it never happens. I don't know, but, but he was there, and he's nodding off. And the Scripture says he was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Wow. What an unfortunate occurrence. They're up in this upper room, three stories up. This kid's listening to Paul, sitting in the window, falls asleep, falls out of the window, and dies. It's especially unfortunate for Eutychus, whose name literally means fortunate or lucky. Now, I've heard sermons on this portion of Scripture, lots of sermons on this portion of Scripture, that compare Eutychus to a backslider. In the place, can I just set the scene up for you? In the place where there's the fire of the Holy Ghost and the Word of God's being preached, this young boy has fallen asleep when there's revival all around him. He's in the back of the church. Well, we don't know where the window is. How are you assuming the window's in the back of the church? He's in the window. He's in a place of compromise where he's halfway in the church and he's halfway in the world. Maybe all those things can be said. 
I'm not here to denigrate anybody. I just think that we might miss the real message in the story if we just go too deep into what we think. If we tried to read too much into it. Can I get a witness? All right. I mean, can we give the kid, can we just give the kid a break? I mean, come on, let's just look at the situation. It's midnight. What do you do at midnight? You sleep. I do. But Paul, chapter 10, but Paul went down. Watch this. Paul went down. He hears this commotion, right? First he hears the splat. And then he, then he hears these people screaming. They pick him up and they find out that he's dead. And he, So he runs down. And look what it, the scripture says. Fell on him and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. I love this. Paul's not even alarmed at this situation. He doesn't say, all right, we got together in the name of Jesus. We command you to come back. He just falls on him, embracing him. No, he's good. Guys, don't trouble yourselves. That word trouble means don't get in an uproar like what happened in Ephesus before. Now, this does remind, I mean, Paul falls on this kid. He embraces him. The kid comes back to life. Eutychus, who isn't so unfortunate after all, has certainly lived up to his name here, hasn't he? It does remind me of another story. Paul's actions on this kid remind me of another story found over in Luke chapter 15 where a father is looking out onto the horizon to see the silhouette of his son staggering home from hard life lessons. And the scripture says that he ran to him fell on him and kissed him. And he told the boy's older brother later, your brother was dead, now he's alive. Paul didn't take this moment to rebuke Eutychus for falling asleep during his midnight message. Hey, let's remember something. He was there. Eutychus was in church. I mean, if he's a backslider, what's he doing at a meeting like this? At midnight... Yeah. He fell on him, he embraced him, and life came back into the boy's body. Didn't God do that for you? You were dead in your trespasses, and God came down to you through his son, Jesus Christ, embraced you with his love when Christ opened up his arms, stretched open up his arms, and let them nail him to that cross, died for your sins, and rose again from the dead. You would think Paul and his guys, now this is kind of interesting, after reading this, I would think, at this point, this is where you go, well, this has been great church, guys. Good night. You can all go home to where it's safe to fall asleep in your own beds. That's not what happened. Look at verse 11. Now, when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. I, this is amazing. I love this. They just kept having church. Paul says, let's do it again. So they come together again. He comes up there and says, let's break the bread again. So they eat again. He says, I got more to say. And he preaches until the sun comes up. I have a feeling nobody fell asleep in that service. <laughs> Verse 12, and they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Why doesn't Luke just say they were greatly comforted? I think that wording is interesting. They were not a little comforted. They were greatly comforted. All right. Verse 13, are you ready? Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, where there... Uh, intending to take Paul on board, so, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. Now, can we bring up that map again? 
Azos is down here. There's Troas up there. The next red one down is Azos, okay? It's about 20 miles or so, all right? Uh, Paul sent them on ahead by ship, and then he walked on foot that 20 miles. Uh, we don't really know why, except I think Paul is wised up concerning his ministry at this point. Because remember, there are several times the Scripture says that the Jews plotted to kill him. I mean, these guys are continually lying in wait, strategizing how to get this guy and take his life from him. Um, this is the second time in this chapter that Paul sends guys, of, uh, guys ahead of him. Remember, he was a Macedonian. He sent the other guys to Troas back in verses 3 and 4, and then he later showed back up. It looks as if Paul is watching out not only for himself but also for his own men. This seems to be a tactical move on his part. He's being hunted all the time. There are several occasions where people are looking to kill him. So Paul goes a step ahead and seems to send his men as scouts to assess the situation to make sure everything is clear. That's the only thing that I can really conclude about why he's sending these guys ahead of him at this point, except for what he's experienced already. Verse 15, we sailed from there and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at uh, Trogilium. The next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Let's go. Verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Now, he didn't go to Ephesus, but he sent to there and had some elders from the church in Ephesus come to him. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul declares that he taught publicly and house to house to Jews and to Greeks, repentance and faith. In other words, Paul preached everywhere to everyone about everything. That's what he's saying. I didn't hold back anything. Verse 22, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Wow. That's not very exciting. Hey, Paul, the next town you go to, there's chains and tribulations. And the next town you go to, there's more chains and tribulations for you. Everywhere he went, trouble was waiting for him or following him. And you remember, though, this was part of the call on his life specifically. Jesus told Ananias, remember, to go seek out the man named Saul, and he would tell him things that he must suffer. And so Paul was willing to do what it took. He said, these, look at this next thing he says. None of these things move me. The Holy Spirit is warning him when you go to this town. Now, the Holy Spirit wasn't telling him not to go. He was just telling him, you go to that town, you're going to get beat. You go to that town, they're going to plot to kill you. You go to that town, there's riots going to happen. And he said, none of these things move me. He just keeps going. And he takes the beatings and he, and he endures what he has to. Why? Because he believes in the grace of God so much and that men need to hear this gospel of grace that he'll lay down his very life to get this message out. 
because he knows what the other message did for him. It just made him self-righteous. But the grace of God liberated him as it liberates all men. Now watch this. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, hey, this is why I'm not surprised. This is why I'm not surprised that I get accused of preaching a, a, a gospel. I do get accused of this, of preaching a gospel that licenses people to sin, to go do whatever they want to. They call it whatever, sloppy agape or greasy grace or whatever it is. They, all those terms that those legalists use because they don't understand a lick of the grace of God. Somebody's got to talk about sin. Well, go for it then. Here's, here's what my speech on sin. Christ died for our sins. There we go. That'll liberate you. Christ died for your sins. If I want to give you a license to sin, then I'll preach the law to you. Because the scripture says the law is the strength to sin, the dunamis, the right now power to act on sin. You want a license to sin? I'll preach the law to you if that's what you want. Grace is the freedom, the power over sin. Romans 6, 14 says, you, you can probably quote it with me by now, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law. You're under grace. When are we going to get this message? Hmm? I'm just saying that people that don't love freedom, that people that want to control other people, hate this message of grace. They hate it. I'm not here to control. I'm here to liberate you in the grace of God because we need the grace of God. It's what he chose to give us. Through Moses came the law, but through Jesus Christ came grace and truth. Notice that truth is on the side of grace. Through Jesus Christ came grace and truth. Are you hearing me? So Paul preached grace so hard that these legalists went nuts and tried to kill him. Now, I don't want anybody to try to kill me, but I do want legalists to go nuts when I preach this, this message. I want it to... <clears throat> so much so that it'll set them free. That they'll get it. That they'll change the way they think and actually believe that Christ did take care of all he needed to take care of. That it really is finished. And by the way, the law was never to us. And that's the moronic thought, I mean, that, that we even, that even applies to us. It was never even, even to us. We're on the outside. This law was to the nation of Israel. How dumb for Gentiles who don't know anything about it to go, well, that we need to act like we need to have it. That's stupid. We need grace. Thank you for enthusiasm. We need grace. None of these things move me. Paul was willing to, to preach this gospel of the grace of God, the freedom that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is no righteousness outside of the righteousness of faith. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. This must have been devastating to these Ephesian elders to hear this news from him. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Watch this, verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare to you Ready? The whole counsel of God. Now, this is another thing that gets talked about. 
well, you can't just preach great. You got to preach other things too. You got to preach the whole counsel of God. Well, excuse me, Paul's the one that said he preached the whole counsel of God. Sounds like to me what he preached to me is what I'm supposed to know about God. Mm. Okay. Because the truth is, we can't know really anything about the Bible except we have to go through his teaching to us. You understand that? You understand that, that we can't really know what the Bible's about until we know what Paul teaches us? Because Jesus taught Paul what to tell us, all right? So if you ever wonder, what should I read in the Bible? You need to read Paul's writings. That's where you need to live your life in those writings. So that until you get the message, you just saturate yourself in those scriptures, and then the Bible won't be so confusing to you. I used to get so scared. I did read the scriptures and go, oh, my God, am I even saved? Reading the, I had no idea. I was just ignorant. I was ignorant of, my, of the new covenant. I was ignorant of what Christ really did for me. But once I understood it, then the whole Bible began to make sense. Remember what I've told you this over and over again. All the Bible is for us, but not all the Bible is to us. The Bible is is to certain audiences, all right? Jesus preached the law. Well, I just read the red, Pastor. I read the red. I just live in the red. Oh, really? Okay, let's raise our right hands. Can everybody raise your right hand? I follow Jesus. You do? I follow Jesus. You do? Raise your right hand. Come on, let me see it. Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Has your right hand ever offended you? You hadn't cut it off? Well, you're a hypocrite then. You don't just follow Jesus' teachings because a lot of Jesus' teachings were under the context of the law. So Paul taught us what to know about Jesus. Hallelujah! Okay. I hope I'm not being too harsh with you. I'm not talking to y'all. I'm talking about all those bozos out there. All right. Verse 28, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That's, those are the guys I'm talking about. Legalists. Law givers. Law lovers speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. You understand how precious this gospel is that we have? That there are those in this world that are, they hate it, they denigrate it, and they're trying to get us to shut up. They don't want you free. Watch and remember, verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to these church leaders. He's talking to me. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Look what the grace of God does for your life. Look how it elevates you. Able, the word of his grace is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. Hallelujah. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if you want to find out where Paul got that, you're not going to find it in the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's not recorded there. Jesus did not say it to his disciples. It's more blessed to give to receive. He told Paul, and Paul told us. 
Isn't that interesting? Because I looked for it because it was in red there. And I thought, oh, where's, where's that reference? Where did Paul? It was never in the Gospels. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Praise God. Praise God. Can we bow our heads for just a moment? Father, I want to say thank you for this time together in your presence tonight. We thank you for your word that it is able to build us up. Your word is life to those who find it. It's health to all of our flesh. If you're here tonight and you're battling some kind of ailment, pain, sickness of any kind in your body, I want you to just raise your hand where you are right now. Just raise your hand where you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for these, Lord, who are here tonight. And they need the manifestation of your healing power in their bodies right now. And we thank you, Jesus, that you paid that price when you bent over that whipping post and those Roman soldiers beat you and beat you and beat you and laid stripes on your back and your body was broken so our bodies today could be healed. And I declare in Jesus' name that the healing power of God would invade these bodies even now and take over and remove every form of sickness and infirmity and disease and pain and discomfort I declare right now that the anointing is flowing even now. The burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of Almighty God in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And every plan and every scheme and every plot of the devil is brought to failure. And I thank you, Lord. Your word says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The scripture also teaches us that he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. David declared, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness, and tender mercies who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We thank you, Lord, that your word says that your word is life to those who find it and health to all of their flesh. We receive that healing now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. Now, uh, uh, with every head bowed and every eye closed here tonight, some of you are here tonight and you're carrying some guilt and you're carrying some shame and you've, you've been carrying it for some time just, and you've been keeping it to yourself, but you find this thing just continuing to nag you. It continues to bother you. It continues to make you trip up. It continues to make you feel bad concerning you and your relationship with God. And tonight, Christ wants to free you from that guilt and shame. Now, just between me and you and God, I want you to just raise your hand. If this is something, if this is you, you've been dealing with that very thing. Father, I thank you right now that you're setting these free even now. I want to encourage you tonight that not only did he die for your sins, but Jesus also, Jesus also was shamed for you. He died, so you're no longer guilty. And I want you to receive what Jesus did for you 
receive the fact that he made you who were guilty tonight innocent. Innocent of everything. So that from this day forward, whatever you've done, whatever things that you're carrying right now, those, that burden is broken off of you. In Jesus' name, from this day forward, you walk, you walk in a new understanding of who you are in him. In a greater measure of what Jesus paid for. Sin, guilt, and shame. It's over now. I thank you, Lord, for the peace of God now to rest upon them, to guard their hearts and minds. In Jesus' name. One more. Tonight, some of you are battling fear and anxiety. You're sleepless, and uh, it's affecting your health. It's affecting your, the way you think. It's affecting even your relationships. You're here tonight, and you've, you've been really struggling with that. I don't know what those fears are, but they're all not of God. I can tell you that right now. If you're here tonight and that's you, just raise your hand when I pray for you. Father, I thank you right now for these who have been battling fear. As Pastor Brandon so beautifully said tonight, there is no fear in love. Father God, that they would just receive your love tonight because where we are fearful, that's where we are refusing to be loved by God. But tonight I want you to open up your heart and say, Father God, I receive your love for me. Just say it right now to him. I receive your love from me to remove every bit of fear. Your perfect love casts out all fear. Let me remind you tonight, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You don't have a right to fear. You don't have a right to worry. You only have a right to give thanks to your God who has given you the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's no situation in this world that is greater than God's love for you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Receive his love tonight. Let him love all of that fear right out of you. All of that angst and worry. I declare over you that tonight, Psalm chapter 4 verse 8, you will both lie down in peace and sleep. For the Lord alone makes you dwell in safety. Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, for your liberating freedom. Thank you for your unconditional love. Thank you for your grace that abounds to us and your peace that is multiplied in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., or 1 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Please visit onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Cause Church. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.